Hello, Savilla Morgan here. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to today's show. Before we get started, I would like to thank my sponsors and my supporters. A great big thank you to Morgan Air Conditioning, Sales, Service, and Installation, proudly serving Tampa, Florida, and the surrounding areas. For assistance with your air conditioning needs, call Morgan Air at 813-500-7765. That's 813-500-7765. Thank you so much, Morgan Air, for seeing the vision and being a part of it. It is appreciated. Next, I would like to thank Alba Digital Media, Audio Production, Web Hosting, and Web Design. Alba Digital Media created my website and they produce my podcast. Visit Alba Digital Media at www.albadigitalmedia.com for assistance with media and production needs. That's www.albadigitalmedia.com. Thank you so much for Alba Digital Media for making me look good and sound good. I'd also like to thank the owner of Edinburgh Dusters for assisting me with quality graphic assistance for my website and other social media content. It is greatly appreciated. Finally, I would like to thank the musical duo Devoted for creating my theme music. Contact Devoted at devotedministries at gmail.com for your music needs. That's devotedministries at gmail.com. Thank you so much, Devoted, for the beautiful music. I absolutely love it, and I'm sure the listeners do as well. Thank you for all your great work. If you would like information on becoming a one-time or ongoing sponsor, feel free to contact me at Sevilla at SevillaMorgan.com. That's Sevilla at SevillaMorgan.com. And for more information on my sponsors and supporters, go to my website, www.childlessnotbychoice.net. That's www.childlessnotbychoice.net. Scroll down to the very bottom and you will see the links to my sponsors and supporters. Thanks again for listening and now on to the show. Well, hello everyone, Sevilla Morgan here. Welcome back to another episode of 21st Century Hannah, Childless Not by Choice, where my mission is to recognize and speak to the broken hearts of childless not by choice women and men around the world. I am spreading the great news that we can live a joyful, relevant, and fulfilled life, regardless of the fact that we could not have children. So thanks, everybody, for tuning in one more time. And um, at the time that you're listening to this episode, it will already be 2017. And uh, so I hope everyone's having a very happy new year so far. Um, I wanted to just make sure that everybody is aware that uh, I'm sure most of the the listeners now are aware that you can... um, listening to the episodes on the website childlessnotbychoice.net or whatever podcast player you use and i think uh, pretty soon i'm going to be doing like a little um 
help type thing on how to sign in to different podcast players and where to listen in from because I do get questions from time to time on where people can listen outside of the website. Maybe you don't have access to the website or whatever, but I'm going to be doing that in the future. In the meantime, I have a special guest today, and um, I have Dr. Sherry Ann James um, on with us today. This ought to be exciting. I'm so excited about this uh, this um, interview. Uh, Dr. James is a licensed psychologist with over 10 years experience. And although Dr. James provides therapy for couples in need of counseling to help mend or strengthen their relationships, she also specializes in counseling women on reproductive and maternal mental health. Her psychotherapy practice focuses on those suffering from postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, miscarriage, and childbirth. She also deals with um, issues relating to infertility, uh, perinatal loss, trauma, and pregnancy. Because she is concerned about the unique challenges women can face throughout our lives, in particular due to the aforementioned issues, in addition to her clinical focus, she provides training and workshops within the community and advocates for women's health. Dr. James has a PhD in counseling psychology from the University of Georgia, a master's degree in counseling from Columbia University, a master's in organizational psychology from Columbia University, and her bachelor's is in psychology from St. Peter's College. And as our interview progresses, I'll tell you how I think she used psychology on me the first time we (laughs) met. (laughs) Well, maybe the second time we met. Um, Dr. James' professional membership includes um, a professional membership with the Postpartum Support International, PSI, professional membership with American Society for Reproductive Medicine, ASRM, professional maternal mental health certificate training through PSI and 2020 Mom Project, extensive bereavement training on perinatal loss through Resolve Through Sharing, RTS, and Gottman-trained educator for the Bringing Baby Home program, which is a program for new parents expecting uh, or experiencing the transition to parenthood. So she, her um, practice runs the gamut. She speaks to, I think, everybody that's listening here. Um, basically, she speaks to and helps and assists moms and non-moms. And so that's why I'm so excited about this this um this episode, this interview. So welcome, Dr. James. How are you doing today? I am doing well. Thank you, Sabilla, for having me on your episode. I'm really excited to be here and to chat further about, you know, some of these issues. Thank you. No problem. Thank you so much for your time. Let's jump right into the, uh, into the interview. Sounds good. Okay. Sounds good. Uh, on your homepage, you say that seeking therapy takes courage. Being open and vulnerable can be a monumental step. Mm -hmm. So do you think the women or couples whom you see who, who, um, you know, go to your office are, are even more apprehensive about meeting with you because of their fertility issues? Do you think they feel shame or shamed? I think it really runs the gamut. 
when people do enter my office, I think they're at a point where they're needing a space to really talk about some of the struggles that they, you know, maybe face with with their fertility and not having maybe an avenue or space where they can talk about those issues kind of outside. So, for example, they may have family members who may not quite understand what they're going through or may not be fully supportive of them. So as a result, they feel like they're traveling on this journey alone by themselves, not having really a space or a community where they can address, you know, anything that they may be struggling with. And particularly those who are struggling with with fertility issues. So they come to therapy wanting to be able to process and talk further about everything from the fears that they may have uh-huh. with regards to going through all these treatments and then ending up not being pregnant to, and I think that's the biggest one. What would that mean for them? And what would that mean for their lives moving forward? If they go through all of the, you know, fertility treatments and it does not result in a pregnancy, I think that's kind of the biggest fear that they walk into the office with. Um, But in terms of shame and shame that's felt, I think a lot of what they talk about, too, is the societal pressures Uh um, and feeling as though, you know, in order to have this, quote unquote, perfect, you know, family that they you know, a child has to be part of that equation. Um, and, you know, society places a lot of pressure on women, on on men too, just people in general that, um, you know, once, you know, a couple, you know, once they're married, then the next step is to have children. And some people choose not to have children. Some people, you know, of course have children and some people would like to have children, but just based on certain circumstances on, on not able to have children. Um, and they feel that, you know, society, you know, does not provide a welcoming space for them because society just places a lot of pressure on, um, you know, couples having kids. And, you know, like I said, that may be the choice of some, but it may not be that, you know, and it may be the choice of others not to have kids or due to circumstances, not being able to have kids. So they then feel stressed and pressured because now they're walking with the societal pressure. And then the idea that there may be a possibility that they may not have kids. So then what does that mean? You know, what does that mean for their life moving forward? And I think it just takes a lot of time um, for them to be able to really process what that means and really let's, let that idea sink in with them. Well, what what does that mean for their life moving forward? And I think for a lot of people too, it's important to recognize that if that does not become a reality for them in terms of having children, that is important to be able to recognize that this is a loss. Mm -hmm. This is a huge loss that they're experiencing. And with any loss, you really need the time and the space to process that grief that you're experiencing. Um, And, 
you know, there, there tends to be five stages of grief, you know, the first stage being denial, which a lot of people, you know, may find themselves in at first, like, I cannot believe this is happening. It's something that I always wanted for myself. I fantasize, you know, since I was a child that, you know, I would get married, I'd have a partner, you know, and have kids and you know, this cannot be true. This cannot be happening. I think a lot of people, you know, and it's normal to be in that stage of denial. You know, it's part of the grieving process. And you'd find a lot of people kind of in that phase. And then the second phase tends to be in terms of the grief process, anger. So after you kind of pass that denial phase, you, you kind of lead into anger where you then just get very upset and very pissed off that why is this not happening to me? You know, I'm really angry that, you know, I'm not able to have kids and, you know, what this has been about me. And they may, you know, really kind of displace that anger onto other people too. And they may displace that anger onto, you know, even people who they know who have kids. Mm -hmm. um, and like I said, this is all part of the process. And you kind of need to go through the, the different phases of grief, you know, to help you be able to kind of navigate your situation and move forward. And then after anger, you know, you may move into that bargaining stage. Like if maybe I only met with another doctor or maybe there were other maybe fertility treatments that I didn't think about that maybe I could have done. It's kind of like the what ifs or the I should have, like a lot of shoulds and what ifs and, you know, just kind of questioning, you know, yourself and maybe something that you could have done maybe differently that may have led to a different outcome when probably, you know, the person have tried, they have tried everything possible that they could have done. Um, but just kind of based on the circumstances kind of led to the situation that they are in right now in terms of not having a pregnancy. Um, and then after that bargaining phase, you know, people tend to move to a depression. I mean, you get really depressed. You can get really, you know, low, may not be able to kind of enjoy things and activities that you once enjoyed and just in a very low and sometimes in a very, you know, dark place. Um, and I think it's important, you know, during this kind of grieving process, of course, I am, you know, pro-psychotherapy being a, a psychologist, mm -hmm. but I think, you know, it's important for, you know, a couple or a woman to go into therapy to really kind of walk through these di different stages of grief. Um, because with depression, I mean, that could run the gamut of someone just being really sad and very low to someone having, you know, suicidal thoughts. So you really want to be able to um, gauge, you know, how that person is feeling and where their mood is. Um, and with regards to these stages, it could last you know, different, you know, amounts of time. Someone could be in a depressed stage for weeks. It could be months. And I mean, it could even be years. There's no really time period mm -hmm. for how people kind of move through these phases. Um, but it's important to know, and I think it's important to acknowledge that, um, you know, someone who wanted kids, who wanted children that and are not able to have based on circumstances um, that they will be grieving because it's it is a loss. Um, and once 
one is able to pass through the depression stage, you kind of move to the last stage of acceptance. And like I said, it can take a while to get there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not something that, you know, you can kind of snap your fingers and you're there. You know, it can take, like I said, it could take weeks, it could take months, you know, for someone to get to that place where they've really accepted, okay, I, you know, whether the person is partnered or not, because there are certain circumstances where someone may be childless, not by choice, because they may not have found the right partner Uh um, to have children with. So it's not necessarily always a medical complication or issues related to um, fertility challenges with their partner, but it could also be a result of not finding the one person to have children with. So it's all these different ways that could and can lead to one being, you know, childless, not by choice. Um, and I think being able for someone to kind of move to that acceptance phase, at that point, you kind of recognize, okay, this, you know, is my life. So mm-hmm. what does this look like? How am I now be? How am I now able to move forward? You know, how am I now able to conceptualize that? You know, whether single, partnered, um, without children, how am I able to kind of move forward in my life? Like what goals, you know, do I want to set for myself and how do I achieve the best life that I want for me or, you know, what that I want for me and my partner? Mm. Um, and it's really important to be able to, to sit with that and to really kind of reflect on you know, what that life will look like for them now. Because if you if you were to really think about it, there are a lot of people who have these fantasies of images of what their life would have been like. And when it does not necessarily turn out that way, um, you almost have to rewrite the script, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, and there's nothing wrong in rewriting the script. I mean, I think we rewrite the script for a lot of different things, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, we do. Um, so, you know, it's important to really kind of sit down and, and reflect and rewrite that script of how you want your life to be moving forward. And I think that's a good thing, you know, to be able to do that. So. As I as I listen to you, uh, and I'm here taking notes. <laughs> but as I listen to you, I, I, and I and I know I think most of us are familiar with the stages of grief yes. at this point, you know. But as I listen to you, I said to myself, "Wow, I, I've been through all of these stages. <laughs> mm, yeah, I've gone yeah. through all of these stages." Yeah. And it, I don't know if if it's because I'm a um, you know I'm not a psychologist. I'm just a layperson. Mm-hmm. But I wonder. Um, as a psychologist, do you ever marvel at the fact that people tend to think that they're the only ones going through this when there are millions of people dealing with these things, with these issues? Oh, oh yes, absolutely. When people come into their door and in, into the door and they talk about their story and their struggles and their challenges, of course, there will be some differences because everyone's life is different and right. everyone's experience is different. Um, but a lot of the times they, you know, they think that they're the only one who has had that, you mm-hmm. know, issue. And they're almost shocked to hear, oh, someone else has a challenge <laughs> or someone else, you know, feels, for example, you know, with regards to childlessness, 
someone else feels as though they're less than or they're uh-huh. less of a woman because they don't have children. Like they almost kind of marvel at the fact that other people feel that way. And, you know, in situations like that, I always validate, you know, my clients, uh-huh. validate them kind of voicing how they're experiencing and let them know and give them perspective that, yes, a lot of people do have these struggles and a lot of people do feel similarly to how you do. Mm-hmm. Um, when you when you just, you know, think of really statistics in terms of, you know, pregnancy loss, one in four, one in four pregnancies end in a loss. Mm-hmm. One in four. I mean, just let that statistic really sink in. And although, you know, there are a lot of women who have been able to carry, you know, a pregnancy, one in four of those pregnancies will end in a loss. And sometimes with those women, um, as a result of several miscarriages, they may not have children. The end result is that they may, you know, end up living a life without kids, mm-hmm. um, even though they may have been pregnant, you know, for, a, you know, a couple of weeks. And, you know, for them, you know, that's a trauma mm-hmm. as well. And it is kind of getting your mind around that, you know, idea, okay, yes, I, I have been able to get pregnant, but it's never been a viable pregnancy, you know, oh. through all these losses. So what does this mean now? And then you have the people who struggle with infertility and, and the statistics on that is one in eight, you know, struggle with infertility. And those are people who, um, you know, they have been, they've probably used a lot of, you know, treatments, you know, in order to get pregnant and they have not been able to get, you know, pregnant. Maybe they've done IUI and IVF and through all those treatments, they have not been able to get pregnant. And as a result have, you know, probably have made a decision that they no longer want to kind of go through those treatments. And as a result, they have found themselves in a situation where they are themselves childless you know, not by choice. So there are different avenues and different paths that may lead to a person, you know, like I said, it can be just, you know, a woman who hasn't find, found the right partner or a couple um, to to not have, you know, kids. And, and, and continuing on with the statistics, for one more statistic, it's, mm-hmm. um, and when it comes to infertility, of the time it's the man and 50% of the time it's the woman who has the Mm -hmm. issue, correct? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. When it comes to, you know, fertility challenges, you know, it can also be something kind of related to the male as well, you Mm -hmm. know, as a female. So it's important, you know, to kind of look at both to Mm -hmm. see where, you know, the issue may be coming from. And, you know, to be honest, in some cases, there it's it's unknown mm-hmm. as to what is causing the infertility there are some cases where there is you know they you know with all the tests you know the man seems very viable and the woman seems very viable but they have not been able to you know get pregnant and you know so there's a portion of people that it's just unknown why this may not be happening. So it's being able to kind of sit 
with the idea of that, um, and a lot, you find a lot of couples kind of questioning, like, why me? Like, why is this happening, you know, to me? And, you know, I see a lot of people around me getting pregnant Mm -hmm. and it's hard to kind of go through this struggle when, um, a lot of people around me are pregnant and they having babies and Mm -hmm. I'm here kind of like suffering and not able to get pregnant. Like what's going on with me? Does that make me less of a person? Mm -hmm. Um, does that make me inferior to not be able to, you know, have, you know, children. Um, so you find a lot of couples really kind of questioning, you know, themselves in those types of situations. So it must, I guess it's, it's just human nature for us to really think that we're the only ones going through this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And- absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> the only one. And I think too, I really do think what has a part to play in that is social media. Because mm-hmm. when you go onto social media, you know, a lot of people post, you know, a lot of the great things that are happening in their right. life, right? <laughs> you know, who's pregnant, who just delivered. And, you know, people try to place this image that everything is going well. Mm-hmm. Um, when, I mean, now I guess you're, you're, you're seeing more posts of people who had miscarriages and their struggles. Um, but in terms of the overall landscape, a lot of what you see are kind of like the positive um, experiences that, that people have. Mm-hmm. So when people kind of go on the internet and they see that, they're like, no one's feeling the way that I am. What's wrong with me? <laughs> you know, so they start to question themselves. It's like, no one's been through what I've been through. No one is feeling depressed or sad like is it just me what's going on here because i think social media could be skewed oh definitely very very much skewed when there are a lot of people suffering a lot of people who you know as a result they have mental health issues and um probably, you know, because of society, there is some fear in sharing that. Like I said, you know, you're seeing more of a movement of people, you know, sharing some of the pain and struggles, but kind of the overwhelming news that you hear from, you know, people and from couples is all these kind of great things going on, you know, for them and their families. So it can be hard for someone to share their, their distress and their struggles. And and with a, I think what is the number? I think it's a billion people on Facebook. I oh, guess yeah. <laughs> I guess with a billion people on Facebook, everybody that's posting, they must be fine. It must be just me. Right. <laughs> a billion <Yeah>. people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Amazing. But so it's um, a lot. Yeah, it's a lot to sift through. Right. You know, it's a lot to sift through. Well, um, changing gears a little bit. Sure. Um, what made you decide this is what you wanted to do? How did you know you wanted to help people? And uh, to quote your website, um, mm-hmm. I saw that you said you guide, you want to guide people on their journey of self-discovery and help them attain the peace that they seek. What mm-hmm. was it that, that, that made you choose this path? Hmm. In terms of the field of psychology, I mean, I... <laughs> in terms of how it started for me at first, I really did not know, to be honest, what I wanted to do with my life in terms of career. Um, you know, going to college at, you know, when I was a freshman, I actually thought I was going to 
really focus on art or art history. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then at one point I thought I was going to do biology. Like I, I had no clue. Uh-huh. And it was really only through the exposure of psychology. I thought that how this, this seems to be a really good fit for me. I, I was always curious. I always had a curiosity for, um, how people think and human behavior. And um, I do have a a lot of compassion for, you know, people's experiences and how they feel and just being exposed to a lot of, you know, courses in psychology. I thought that this fits. I think I can do this. (laughs) (laughs) I think I can help people along in their journey and figuring out who they are, who they want to be. I mean, it just really came together really well. Um, so from there, I mean, I just continued with, you know, my master's and of course my, my doctorate degree and, um, actually for over. So once I was completed for over a decade, I actually worked, um, in higher education in, uh, counseling centers at universities. Um, so there I was dealing with a lot of college and, and graduate students. I mean, I met with a lot of older students and a lot of struggles that they faced with and that really ran the gamut from like identity issues, abuse, addiction, eating disorders, um, like women's health and empowerment. There were a lot of issues that I dealt with in there. And I felt like my interest, and while I was very interested in work, interested in working in higher education, I think my interest really evolved, um, and it evolved really out of um, me being kind of in the point of my life where, you know, we were considering, you know, having children. And I think kind of through where I was in my own life, my career trajectory in terms of my interests evolved at the same time. Um, Because at that time, because I do, you know, have kids of my own, um, during that time, there were a lot of people around me who were struggling. A lot of people around me, close friends and family, who have had infertility um, and had to go through fertility treatments, you know, several people who have had uh, miscarriages and stillbirths. Mm-hmm. And, you know, through that process, I knew that I wanted to, you know, help those women and help those, you know, couples kind of through that process because there was a lot of, you know, pain you know, that was occurring. And I felt that there was not um, a lot of avenues where people can kind of go to for support who had these issues. Right. Um, I feel as though now it's, it's kind of on the rise, but there is still a lot that needs to be done in terms of um, women and, and couples finding the space to talk about some of their challenges, challenges. So I wanted to kind of be a part of that process for people to have a safe space and to kind of help them on their journey of, you know, finding themselves, you know, whether, you know, they're going through wanting to have children or not. Um, I wanted to be, you know, the person to kind of walk them through that 
that process. And it's, you know, it's an area that I'm very, very passionate about, you know, as you, you mentioned, kind of one of my interests too is um, perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. So Mm -hmm. what falls within that category is um, postpartum depression or depression, anxiety kind of during pregnancy or, you know, with couples and and, and women who are trying to conceive uh-huh. as well as important to know that they can be experiencing a lot of depression and a lot of anxiety and it needs to be addressed and they need to have a space where they can address it, where they do not feel judge where they do not feel criticized where they do not feel like they have you know the weight of society's shoulders on them but where they can freely and genuinely talk about you know their struggles and their experiences and not be judged um by by addressing it so it's it's an area that i'm very very passionate about working with reproductive and maternal mental health and you know i've done you know, some advocacy work uh-huh. around it as well in terms of, of um, maternal mental health. And I feel as though, you know, while we're making good strides, even nationally, we still have a long way to go uh-huh. <laughs> in terms of um, availability of treatment um, for women and couples. But I think we're I think we are moving in the right in the right direction nat- on a national level. Okay, speaking of that national level, do you know, and I'm sure that people, if they want to, and we'll talk about that a little bit later Mm -hmm. about how to get in contact with you, but um, I had never heard of of, um, this type of, you know, practice. And so I just wondered how many other psychologists, just an average number nationally here in the United States, are doing the same type of work that you are? Just an Mm -hmm. off. Do you think it's a lot? Um... I think in the scheme of uh, mental health professionals in the U.S., I think the percentage is low. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I mean, there are quite a few people who specialize in reproductive and maternal mental health in the U.S. And okay. there are different states where you have more providers um, who have expertise, uh-huh. but we still need we still need a lot more and there's a lot of training that's available Mm. because it is needed in a lot of states. So it could be larger, but Mm. there is training that's kind of readily available for those who would want to specialize in, in reproductive and maternal mental health. But I don't think we're nearly at the place where we, we really need to be, especially when you think of everyone who who are, who are in kind of in that reproductive kind of stage of life and they may be kind of thinking about you know having kids and you know maybe going through a lot of struggles to have kids and may end up not having kids or for those who may have kids but also are also dealing with a lot of you know emotional distress and complications there still needs to be a lot of um availability for for mental health services for that but the hope is that it it would increase um actually recently a couple weeks ago there is an act called the 21st century um cures act which was actually recently signed 
um, by President Obama a couple of days ago. Hmm. Um, and within the 21st Century um, Cures Act, what falls within that is another act, which is bringing postpartum out of the Shadows Act, um, which was established by Catherine Clark, a congresswoman out of Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the, the passing now and the signing of this bill, um, it will focus on actually women's health because there is a lot of different um kind of acts and a lot of different kind of details that falls within the overall 21st century's acts that really pertains to women's health. So the hope is that through that, there will be a lot of funding available um, for the different states to increase, you know, treatment and screening and all these great things which which we need. So that's that's why I said you know, I think we're moving in the in the right you know, direction forward. Um, but there's still there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. Okay, so I am highlighting this now because I did not know about this, and I yeah. think it's awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's great. <laughs> so her, great. her name is. I'm gonna have to look up the senator from Massachusetts. You said. Mm-hmm. Okay. Catherine Clark. Catherine Clark. I'm gonna have to do yeah. some research on this. This sounds yeah. awesome. Oh no, it's great. Oh, wow. It's great. Like like I said, movement in the right direction. Mm-hmm. So it's a good thing. Okay. Well, I'm gonna definitely check that out and yeah. do some research on that. Um, you know, this is kind of similar in a way to the first question, but but mm-hmm. it's still different enough that I, I'd like to. To, to get, you know, to hear what you, your response on this. Sure. And I just wonder if by the time patients come to visit you, mm-hmm. if they're at their wit's end um, at mm. that point, is their marriage on the rocks? Is mm. it about to end due to the childlessness, infertility, mm-hmm. or loss of a child? And, and, and do you think that there is a way, and I guess this again will come with as, um, you know, the specialty grows in this mm-hmm. medium, but maybe getting people to, to realize that there is help before they get to that stage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cause I think a lot of it needs to be preventative as well. Mm-hmm. And yes, you know, I do see people who are at the extreme at their wits end already wanting to pull their head, you know, their hair out mm-hmm. or, you know, it, it, it is impacting their relationship. And I do see people coming in like on that end. But I think the idea is to have really mental health integrated into the system so that it's kind of part of the process when somebody is, for example, going through, you know, infertility um, so that you, you're, you're, you're trying to kind of make sure that the, the mental health is, is really attended to so that you don't get people all the time at the extreme, right? right? So I think it's important. Um, I think I think it's a good idea. And some some, you know, reproductive centers do have therapists on staff. Not all do, but some do. But I think it's in, in, important to be able to have an integration of mental health. Um, in, in general health practices and reproductive practices so that one, while, if they're going through treatment, kind of part of that process is also meeting with a therapist mm. to really assess and to have an idea of where their mental health is. 
you know, how are they feeling? Kind of where are their emotions? What are they sitting with? What fears do they have? Um, and really being able to kind of address those things before it gets to a heightened sense of despair. Um, so I'm really an advocate for integration of mental health um, in these facilities so that you can really address, you know, these issues kind of on the onset and it really throughout treatment. Um, and that's what I talk about being more preventative rather than kind of reactive where, mm -hmm. you know, you're only really catching the people when they're, when things are really falling apart, you know, at that point. Uh, so yeah, I'm a real, a real advocate for integration of mental health. And I hope that more, you know, reproductive facilities and centers, you know, are moving in that direction. Like I said, some are, but I think there needs to be more movement because there is a lot of mood and anxiety disorders that could erupt uh -huh. uh, when when people are going through this, you know, this process because it's a very stressful process. It's right. very, very, very stressful, and I, I think it, it is an important to have a space to really address, you know. So what would it be like if? you know, the, all the treatments and everything that you go through does not work out. And, you know, what does that mean for you? What does that mean for you and your partner? If you're living a life, you know, without children, so they're ready, you know, processing, you know, some of that, you know, while they're going through, um, you know, fertility treatments, treatments, which I think is important. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, I, I, as, as I hear you, as I hear your response, I can already think about certain people who may say that they don't want to go through that portion of, of the treatment um, mm -hmm. because they don't want to bring any negative vibes, mm. <laughs> you know, into the treatment <laughs> process. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, I guess yeah. that's the way as a doctor you would tell them that, look, this is just part of the treatment. This is part of the treatment. Yes, having a space to really you know, address and t talk about, you know, the possibilities here. And one of the possibilities and outcomes could be, you know, living, you know, a life without children. And I think it's important to, you know, really be being able to process that and what that means for that particular, you know, person or what that mm -hmm. particular couple, because it could mean a lot of different things for a lot of, you know, different people. Right. Right. So... It's important to, to really talk through that. But I could see the fear in, mm -hmm. in people thinking, oh, they don't want to bring that negative energy. <laughs> oh, they don't want to talk about it. But the reality is it's important to talk about it because that's that could be the possibility. You know, mm -hmm. and right. you don't want to be kind of in a state of denial. Right. You know, so you want to be able to kind of be open to anything that could possibly happen through this process. It's, it's so. really just a matter of preparation. Preparation, you know? yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So we, we kind of touched on this a little earlier, but, um, you know, as a psychologist, mm -hmm. how do you, and, and yes, we did touch on it, but I guess maybe I'm asking it in a different way. How do you define loss? And, and is loss the feeling that your average client has 
by the time they come to see you or is it something you have to help them come to terms with? And I guess loss, as far as I'm thinking in the broad sense of the loss of the expectation, the loss of the dream, as Mm -hmm. well as the miscarriage or the, the loss of a child. You know, are you, how do you deal with them as far as the loss of the dream and the mm-hmm. expectation? And the expectation, mm-hmm. yeah. And I think that's a, an important, you know, point that you raise um, because there are some people who are maybe thinking of like the physical, you know, loss, but they right. may not be thinking of the loss of like the expectation or dream or fantasy that they have mm-hmm. um, or, or have carried for years. Um, and it's important to really kind of sit down and address that because that could be tied into a lot of different things. It could be tied into their culture. It could be tied into how they were raised. It could be tied into, um, their family background. It could be generational. There is a lot. I mean, it's very weighted when you think about someone's expectations and how that was established and how that was created. There's a lot of experiences and history that goes into that. So it's important to be able to, with a client, sit with that and tease that out in terms of where that's coming from. For example, what if for some person, um, you know, they came from a family background where every, you know, every person um, had kids by the age of 20, for example. Mm-hmm. And now, and they had that same idea growing up that by age 20, they would have kids. And now that they're 30 and not kids, they are now struggling with that expectation that they had of themselves. And a lot of that is tied into their family background, right? Mm-hmm. Where a lot of people had kids at 20. So they really need to kind of sit with that and sit with what does that mean? But not only that, being able to sit with how they are now perceived within their family. How is their family going to look at them? Are they going to look at them any differently? Are they going to place blame on them? So it's a lot to kind of sift through. And like I said, you know, it could run really deep. Uh Uh It's not a surface issue when you think about someone's expectations and dreams. I mean, there's a lot that's kind of embedded embedded into that so it takes it will take a lot of time to really process and like kind of sift through you know what does that mean specifically for for everyone um Mm. so that's a that's a whole it has a lot of roots a lot of roots it's 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 similar to the earlier question but 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 very different really Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I almost didn't ask it because I'm like, wow, it's so similar to the first one. But no, it's oh, it's really no. different. Yeah. 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 Well, um, we're, we're winding down here. My um, oh. next to last question is okay. um, in our initial conversation, we were on yes. somewhat of a parallel. It was created by me <laughs> <laughs> before finally coming to an agreement because I yes. felt so protective of, of, of my listeners. But uh-huh. I think you did some psychology on me. And um, <laughs> I wanted, but I, you, you understood that I wanted to be sure the child is not by choice listener was not made to yes. think we were going to discuss an ending where a woman eventually had the baby, which we kind of did mm-hmm. when I set out from 
my platform to be about the woman who never had the baby. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to um, publicly thank you (laughs) for understanding that. Absolutely. While while gently nudging me into understanding that some of my audience could indeed be the woman who had the miscarriages or Mm -hmm. suffered the physical loss of the baby. And not just the women like me who never had the chance to carry a baby. Mm-hmm. So the light bulb moment for me was when you mentioned that there are many reasons and paths, and we discussed some of them today, mm-hmm. which may have led to childlessness or or for people to be child-free. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the I guess the reasons we did touch on those earlier, but I was, I'm asking if you could expand or expound a little bit more because I want the listener to hear what I heard from you as far as these reasons why people are child-free or mm-hmm. childless. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. the way you explained it to me, I guess, is what I'm saying. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, there are a lot of different uh, reasons that may and circumstances that may result in, in a woman being childless. Um, and... You know, like you know, like I mentioned, for some of these women, they may have carried, you know, mm-hmm. a pregnancy, but it may not have been viable. So when you think of someone who have who has had a miscarriage or several miscarriages, and a miscarriage um, typically occurs for someone who um, carried a pregnancy less than twenty weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, so they may have carried that pregnancy for twenty weeks or less, but have miscarriage, and they're people who have, who have had three, four, sometimes miscarriages. Um, but the end result of that, um, you know, journey for them uh, could have been, I mean, there are some people who may have a child after miscarriage, but there are a lot of people who after several miscarriages have made the decision that um, they may not try any further. And as a result, they are living a life um, without children. And Mm. the same goes to individuals who may have had a stillbirth, which is for someone who has carried a pregnancy um, beyond 20 weeks. Uh, They uh, and they have had a, a pregnancy loss um, beyond 20 weeks, and that's a stillbirth. And similarly, in that situation, you may have had people who have gone through stillbirths, but um, the end result is that they uh, may be living a life without, you know, children. Um, they are people who have had ectopic pregnancies, um, and that's when the egg kind of fertilizes outside of the uterus. Mm -hmm. So that's not a a viable, you know, pregnancy. Um, and a result, and as a result of that, um, it may lead to someone kind of living a life without children as well. So those are some of the, um, circumstances where one could be pregnant, um, and have incurred a loss in pregnancy, but, you know, as a result of their experience, they may have decided, um, and these are, of course, some people, they may have decided that um, they may no longer want to try and, you know, as a result of their situation, maybe living a life without children. Um, but, of course, there are a lot of other, you know, health you know, issues that may result in someone being um, living a life without children. When you think about people who have endometriosis or PCOS or, you know, 
people who, for for health reasons, they may have had a hysterectomy. Uh, they are also individuals who probably wanted to have children as well, but are not able to do so. So really the point being is that there is a spectrum of uh, reasons which may have led a woman to be childless, not by choice. Um, and I think it's important to really, you know, recognize that, that there are different paths that may have led to it. It's just, you know, when you think about everyone's story is different. Right. Every individual is unique. Um, there's no one that, although someone may have had like a similar experience, for example, you know, two people may have had like a miscarriage and those two people may now be living you know, a life without children. I mean, their stories are still going to be a little bit different, mm. right? So just in that way, there are many, you know, reasons that may have led to, you know, someone living a life without children. And like I said earlier, you know, not finding um, a partner who, you know, they may have wanted to have children with. I mean, that's another path. So it's almost as though you can kind of see... Um, like if you kind of could put it in a diagram, right? right, where there's a circle that within that circle is the person who's living a life without children, right? There are a lot of different arrows that leads to that, right? It's not just one way, but there are several ways that lead to that. And I think it's important to kind of give space uh-huh. to, you know, all the women who you know, for whatever circumstance that may have led them there, but to really acknowledge that their story, because like I said, their story and everyone's story is unique and different, but it's important to honor everyone's story that may have led them to living a life without children. Okay. So listeners, you see, you see what she said? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is this is why I was compelled to um and and I I, I I couldn't believe that I just was missing this and um I kind of beat myself up but but um Dr. James told me not to do that <laughs> but I mean I, I couldn't have said it any better than what she and this is what she told me when we met we met for coffee and um and um this is what she told me and this is what really was my light bulb moment it was when she said exactly what she just said um, to me. So um, I really hope that that sinks in for a lot of people. And for those of you who suffered um, on, a, on a, a different path than even mine, you know, I'm sorry that I didn't even, you know, I didn't even think about it. I just thought about just the actual fact that there were there were no children but I guess not really thinking about the path and so this opens a lot of doors for me too as I continue to uh, to make my way through this whole podcasting and, and growing and just reaching out to different women so I just want to really thank the listeners for for hanging in there with me until I had my light bulb moment <laughs> and thank Dr. James for that light bulb moment. <laughs> and um, uh, the very last question that we have here, mm-hmm. um, could you talk a little bit about how society plays a part? And, and, and again, this is something we kind of touched on earlier, mm-hmm. but sure. um, how society plays a part in influencing a woman's perception of herself, 
her mm-hmm. role in society and how we as women in particular within societies can correct that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think, I think it's impo- it really, really is important that a woman uh, should, should never really f- be made to feel as though they are less than, you know, mm-hmm. because they do not have dependents or that they do not have children. Um, you know, one of the things that I do in my practice is that I really help women feel empowered by whatever choices that they make and also kind of move to a place of acceptance based on the circumstances of their life. Um, And sometimes choices that are made or circumstances may be really in conflict with, and I say quote unquote, like society. Um, (laughs) But I think it's important for women to really kind of hold true to themselves and be genuine and be authentic and honest um, with themselves because society can, you know, kind of portray all these different things. For, ex- for example, I said earlier, um, like an expectation that because you're a woman that you um, are definitely going to have kids or that you want kids because some, of course, women choose not to have kids, which is everyone's, you know, right and choice. Right. Um, and I think it's important for as women to hold true to who we are and what we want and what we want to achieve out of life, despite society and despite what society places on us and the pressures that they place on women, specifically kind of in the reproductive realm of, of kids or that you have to have kids when that's not necessarily, um, going to be the life for a lot of people and I think it's important for people to feel empowered and to people for people to feel good about themselves and for people to have Mm -hmm. self-compassion I really think it's important to have compassion and kindness for oneself and I think as a lot of women as they're going through a lot of these struggles I think that becomes minimized. And I think it's important to for women to recognize that they need to love themselves, yes. right? They need yes. to have kindness. They need to have compassion. That's so very important. Um, and I feel like when that is really strong and when that resides within a person, within a woman, it's almost as though no matter what society says, that they have that inner strength within themselves to move forward, kind of despite, you know, what society says. And, you know, society, you you know, I use that term very broadly, Mm -hmm. you know, because society could be, yeah, what you read on social media, but society could also represent friends, society could represent (laughs) family members, um, because there are times when friends and, and even family may not even understand you know, what someone may be going through, what a woman may be going through. Um, And a woman can feel a lot of pressure and stress even within their own family. Right. um, Which could be hard and which can cause a lot of strife and which can cause a lot of conflict. But 
it's important to really kind of stand true for who you are and the experiences that you've had and, and really kind of reach to that inner strength and feel empowered as women. I think that's important. Wow, that that is a beautiful and a strong way to end this interview, this conversation, because I totally agree that that's mm-hmm. a big part of the healing process, whether Absolutely. you're going through yes. it or you've, you've reached a place where you can deal with it better mentally. This self-compassion and self-love is important, highly yes. important. So mm-hmm. awesome way to end the interview. Mm-hmm. I just want to thank you once again, Dr. James, for um, taking the time to sit with us and clarify so much for myself and for all of us. I am putting your website address and um, the other links that you sent me in the show notes so that everybody can um, just look below the player, everyone, and you'll see the show notes. And the the website will be in there, perinatalwellness.net. And also, Dr. James has a Facebook site, uh, facebook.com forward slash perinatal wellness Orlando. And um, she has a Pinterest site, pinterest.com forward slash Dr. Sherry Ann James, all one word, forward slash. And she also has a podcast. I do. Yes. And so the podcast is available. And tell us in your own words the name of the podcast and what it will be about. Okay, great. Um, The podcast's name is called The Wellness Pod. And really, it's a platform to talk about and address mindfulness, wellness, and women's health in general. So really having a safe space to discuss, you know, issues that fall within within that realm. Yes. So awesome. hopefully you all tune in. <laughs> yes, please do. I'm going to encourage um, everyone to do that. And um, other helpful resources are a couple of other links here, resolve.org forward slash family-building-options forward slash living underscore child free and then there's another site nationalshare.org but all of those sites including the uh, podcast information the link to the podcast will be in the show notes everyone so um, please be on the lookout for that I'm going to I'm going to talk about um, Dr. James's um, platform and podcast every once in a while so Um, be on the lookout for that and um, again thanks everybody for listening for tuning in and I hope that this uh, episode was as helpful to you as it was to me and Dr. James thank you so much everybody you guys thank you thank you it was great being here thank you Sevilla for having me no problem and everyone just remember that my contact information is in the show notes as usual as as well you know I'm all over social media and all of that information is in the show notes so thanks again Dr. James thanks for listening everyone you're welcome and have a great one everybody you too bye bye